0: Let's just bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, where can we go from your presence? If we fly to the highest heights, if we fly off to the most distant galaxy, to the coldest, darkest star, in the midst of nowhere, Father, you're there. If we go to the deepest sea, you're there. As far as the east... To the West, Lord, you're there. Where can we go from your presence? I thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. I thank you, Lord, that you see us, you know us, you search our hearts. Father, your desire is to speak into our hearts and into our lives, and for us to be transformed and changed and renewed into your very image. Father, we just come to you now humbly. We open our hearts to you and we ask you to speak deeply into our lives, into our situations. Father, that we might be changed people, transformed into your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to continue, in fact, I'm going to finish the series of teachings that we've been doing in 2 Peter. And I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your, uh, your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil deeds, They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed. The earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same words, the present heavens and earth were reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forget forever. Amen. Sometimes you read a scripture and you think, wow, this is going to be quite easy to speak on. There's so much here. And then it becomes a problem. What shall I say? <laughs> what shall I leave out? But, you know, I really believe that uh, what I have to say is life transforming for all of us who will, receive what God would say by his Holy Spirit today. For uh, those of you who are new to the faith or recent to the faith, uh, I I, I just pray that that what you hear today will have you on the edge of your seats. And for those of you who know the Lord for a long, long time, I just pray that it will stir up something in you that will bring new life and turn your heart and excite you again uh, in in the Lord and all that we have and have to look forward to in him. Peter, right at the start here, Says, uh, gives his reason for writing this. He says, I've written both of these letters uh, to re- as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And uh, Peter was a straight-talking man who walked with uh, Jesus, knew Jesus personally. He had experienced the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and central to his message is this message of salvation, the uh, perseverance of believers as they live a life with all its troubles and difficulties in the knowledge that eternity awaits in Jesus Christ uh, for those who remain faithful to the very end. Does this excite you? <laughs> it, it really stirs something in me to know that we have an eternal destiny. And this letter is a challenge to us to say, well, knowing that eternity awaits, how are we going to live? How are we going to order our lives? What are we going to do with our lives? It's both an encouragement and it's also a challenge. In his uh, letters, uh, Peter spoke of the privilege uh, to belong to God's family uh, with people of equal faith, and equally loved by God. He spoke of the impact that new life will have on those who uh, who turn to Christ. We have read, and as we've read the scriptures uh, and his letters, we've seen how his word, how the word of God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit affects all of our relationships. How it affects our closest relationships with our unsaved partners, our unsaved spouse. How when someone changes, radically changes through the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, that life that we receive is so transforming, changes us to such an extent, that those closest to us are going to see a difference. And therefore, in our workplaces, in our families, with our uh, wider families, with our friends and people who we mix with daily, when they see the power of God at work in our lives... They see a difference. They say, what is going on here? A person who used to be a liar tells the truth. A person who was perhaps harsh and, uh, and condemning and angry. Suddenly they see a gracious person, a loving nature, something changing as the, the fruit of the Spirit starts to just move in our lives and we start to be different. This is the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We will know them by their fruit. When God is at work in us, we have to be changed. We are transformed. I'm a different person from the, the, the young lad who was uh, who didn't know Christ. And my mum can tell you this, some of the things that went on in our house. Would you believe I used to swear? <laughs> Would you believe I used to fight a lot with my brothers? Some of the screams and fights in the house you wouldn't believe. But God changed me and is changing me and transforming me still. There are so many areas in my life that still need to change. But praise be to God, he's given his Holy Spirit even now to transform me. He doesn't wait until we're transformed before he gives us his Holy Spirit. He he gives him now. And we're filled and we're changed and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the life. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him in our lives. We should be crying out for him and saying, Lord, please fill me afresh with your spirit because I need to change. Peter also knew there'd be a lot of opposition from the other guy. Satan, he doesn't want... The kingdom of God to advance and for Christ to return. There'll be persecution, he speaks in his letters, from the outside. And error coming into the church as well from the inside. And Peter, in this letter, he expresses the desire to fully awaken the saints. For them to have a true knowledge of the purpose of God. Now he uses the, the word know. Know. And knowledge throughout this short letter, in fact, he uses it I think more than sixteen times in this letter uh, and he 's not just talking about an academic learning, but the kind of knowledge that comes by revelation there 's a world of difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Jesus miraculously opened the understanding of the scriptures to his disciples didn 't he when he uh, w- was raised from the dead and he saw and spoke to his disciples. He said he opened their understanding so that they could see and realize and know all the scriptures. When you hear Peter's uh, preach uh, at Pentecost, wow, it's just an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he opens our understanding. He opens our minds. He gives us revelation. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He sends us his spirit to be our teacher, to be our counselor. Revealing spiritual truths that have been hidden in plain sight for centuries. And it's no different for us. God continually reveals truth to us. When we humbly receive his word. Humility is such an important thing for each one of us. God doesn't say, I'm going to humble you. He says, humble yourselves. This is so important that we are those who do humble ourselves before him. I've said before, in our prayer times, do we feel compelled to get on our knees before God? More and more, I find it uncomfortable sitting to pray. But to get on our knees before God, to bow our heads... And to realize we're talking to a holy God, a righteous God. He wants to hear us. He wants us to bow our heads, to bow our knees, to bow our hearts before him. And to receive him and what he has to say to us. One of the biggest barriers to spiritual growth is pride. In this uh, first letter, he In in his first letter, Peter explains uh, quite beautifully with great clarity the position that we find ourselves in when we're in Christ. I'm not going to read this out. Please turn to it yourselves. But I'll just mention a few things from 1 Peter 3, verses 3 to 5. He explains that our new birth has brought us into a lively, quickened or living hope. When mercifully God opened our understanding to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We start to see that it's not just historic facts about the death and resurrection of Christ but we're being quickened to the reality and the implications of all that Christ has been has done for us. This miracle of new birth gives us a heavenly inheritance. He uses three adjectives to describe it. He says the inheritance is imperishable. It does not decay. It's undefiled, it's perfect, Pure, uh, unsoiled by sin. It's unfading. It has no use by date. Batteries, they fade over time, don't they? Or you stick something out in the sun and it's not long before the colour fades away. But our inheritance is unfading. It's eternal, everlasting, glorious. That's waiting for us. And it says in the same verses, he says under God, detained until God's appointed time, when he will lift off the cover (laughs) and we will see gloriously a new heaven, a new earth, our eternal inheritance. This is exciting and we're getting closer. The number of people are here these days speaking about the last hour, the last minutes of the last hour, that it's all coming to its climax. Things are getting darker and darker, but we're getting lighter and more lively with a greater hope and a greater assurance of this faith. It's something in you. It's not just me, is it? Just excited and expectant about these things. (laughs) It isn't just me, is it? We know that we know and I'm excited because I want to live a life that glorifies God. I want to run a race that is a good race. And I want to run my race to the end. And I want to rip that, uh, that finishing line. <laughs> a glorious inheritance, a great race. Cast off everything that hinders. Throw it off. We don't want to be stalled or led astray or anything to hinder us on our race with the Lord. Peter, he, he said that he didn't. He felt it was uh, of such, such significance that he reminds people of these things. He said that it's, it's negligence, he says, if I don't. In 1 Peter 2, verses 12 to 13, in the New King James, it puts it really well. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know you're established in this present truth. Yes, I think it right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. If I do anything today, I just want to let the word of God do what Peter intended it to do. And that was to stir you up. I'm not saying anything new here. I just want to, to let the scriptures speak. Let the word of God say what Peter wanted them to say. Peter refers to his tent. Now, if anyone's been camping, I've been camping many times. You'll know that you don't want to be in your tent for too long. On a, <laughs> on a scorching day, it becomes like a furnace. You just it's stifling. There's no air in it. And then on a cold day and a windy day, it's just and rainy and whatever, it's just not pleasant, is it, to be in your tent? And Peter's saying that this tent, this, this tent is also. One that we, we shouldn't have to be in this for too long. <laughs> there's, there's things that are starting to change in, in my body. I can't do some of the things I used to be able to do. There's bulges appearing where they shouldn't. <laughs> hair is receding, wrinkles are appearing, hair is getting gray. We we used to do a sketch here a a while uh, when I was a a young lad. Some of you might remember it. James used to to do it with me as well. uh, Called, um, what was it called? The Eternal Youth Sketch. And it starts off with a guy running and he's fit and full of energy. And he's doing all sorts of sports activities. And gradually these activities get, uh, over time, just, just start to become less and less. So from the running the marathon type of stuff. He start, and playing tennis and, and all of this. He starts to uh, by the end of his journey, he's playing tiddlywinks. <laughs> and So we're reminded here of our, our mortality. Our bodies are fading, but we're not intended to, uh, to, to be intense that are forever. They're just a reminder. As things change in our bodies, as things start to go wrong, they're a reminder that we're not here forever, that we have an eternal hope. And not only do we have uh, limitations in our physical body, but clearly we have limitations in our mental abilities as well. That our memories start to fade. We stop to, to find it difficult to remember names or places or even what we were doing yesterday or what we heard just a few minutes ago when Rob spoke on Sunday morning. (laughs) We need to be constantly reminded about these things. In fact, it says we need to nourish our faith with the kind of knowledge that prevents us from being unproductive and ineffective in our walk with God. Chapter 3 picks up on these themes again, um, and he says he keeps on reminding us. So 2 Peter 3, read it before. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you or stir you up to wholesome thinking. Peter isn't introducing something new to our thinking. He wants to awaken something deep down that we already know. He wants to awaken our hearts. Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Be ready for his return. In today's culture, it's easy to get carried away by the wave of popular opinion, isn't it? Clever marketing, peer pressure, rather than t- uh, spending time reflecting deeply on meaning and on purpose. But I do hope that the church uh, bucks this trend. But even so, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you stopped or slowed down enough to reflect on the word of God? Allowing the scriptures to act as a plumb line against your current lifestyle, your life choices, even your moral choices. And in doing so, have you then considered what adjustment is needed in your life? When you face the tension of knowing that God's will and your will just don't line up, whose will are you going to choose? Keeping in right alignment with God's will is a continual process. We often want to do the big things for God. But he wants us to do the little things right. Drawing on his power, on his strength to make right choices. So that we are fit for his use in whatever his call might be for our lives. The eyes of the Lord... Range throughout the whole world, the whole earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God sees the hearts that are towards him. What are our priorities in life? This isn't to judge whether anyone's right or wrong, but to challenge ourselves to consider whether we're still wide awake to the calling of God. People often measure success differently. I remember in one of the first jobs that I I went for, for an interview, uh, it was actually a sales job. And I was told that the success in this job, they they said, it could mean for you uh, lots of money. And it could mean that dream car, uh, the holiday, the house, and all of these things. And as the person interviewing me said these things... I have to say I felt quite cold inside because none of those things, even at a fairly young age, really rang my bell. Once I knew Christ and, and, and wanted him, it's as though that's all I've wanted. And this is what we should want. More of him. A desire deep down, <coughs> excuse me, for the things of God. God that everything else would just seem like rubbish compared. And I did, I did fine it well in, in the work, but I didn't do it to please myself. We work to please God. We work for him. You know, when we uh, work to please God, you can be ambitious in your work. You can have the desire to be the most successful business person to make a lot of money, or you might have a desire to be the best father, the best mother, to be the best at what you do in whichever way. But I'll tell you what, if you don't sanctify these things for God, then our motives are wrong. Whatever we sanctify to God, I've known people who have been been ambitious, but they've been ambitious in the knowledge that they can sow into the kingdom of God. It's our heart motives. Are we serving God? Are we giving everything to him and sanctifying it? Laying it on the altar to God and saying, this is my gift to you. Using our gifts, our talents, all that he has invested in us for his glory. To give him the praise and the honor for whatever success we might have in life. Give yourselves, give ourselves to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And seek his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you as well. Sin and the sin nature sets its own course. And that's why even seemingly good things can be wrong. It's navigating without any consideration to the will of God. It's independence from God. And inevitably starts by breaking the first commandment. Having another God for our God and making idols for ourselves of the things in this world and Peter isn't speaking to unbelievers here any one of us can fall into the trap of living for self he starts by speaking to those he says that have faith as precious as ours faith like ours so if you have faith in God we have the same faith that Peter had and the apostles had faith in almighty God in Acts we read don't we of the believers who devoted themselves to the apostles teaching they were spiritually hungry ravenous for the word of God they applied it to their lives with uh, the outcome that people's needs were all met and the church multiplied daily with those being saved but they needed to continue in the faith they needed to continue and not grow complacent as well There's many forces that try and cut in on our race. And verse 3, it says, First of all, you should be aware that in the last days, at the very very end, people are going to mock your belief. They're going to have their own belief system and will follow their own evil desires. But Peter, by the Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking right into our culture today. Jesus was mocked, wasn't he, on the cross? If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross, save yourself. And now the attention's turning to believers. This Jesus you believe in, he's taking a long time, isn't he? They mock, where is this coming he promised? Nothing's changed. Everything goes on as ever, they say. But they deliberately, notice, deliberately forget that God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't it interesting that Peter foresees the deliberate denial in the last days of creation and the creator? People deny creation, not because of any evidence to deny it. no scientific evidence to deny it. But it's a deliberate defiance against God. I remember seeing a a, a YouTube clip of Richard uh, Dawkins. And he was trying to explain uh, that in the beginning, he said, he said, in the beginning, nothing became everything. Nothing, absolutely nothing flipped over and became everything that we have. And you know what? The audience just laughed. They just burst out laughing. It was so obviously stupid that nothing can become something. In the beginning, God said, we know it. But people just deny this truth. And I believe people deny it because their sinful natures know that if God is real, almighty, holy, sovereign God, then it changes their everything. <laughs> they cannot sin <clears throat> anymore with a clear conscience and without fear. People deny God because they don't want the fear of God. They deny him because they want to, uh, to, uh, to have the pleasures of this life without the feelings of guilt and shame that go with it. But we need to remind people that we have a creator God who loves them, who died for them, who rose again and gives us hope in a new heaven and a new earth. We have an incredible message of hope for this world. It is very difficult to enjoy the pleasures of sin when you believe in a holy and just God. And if you deny God, it's a willful denial because he's placed eternity in the hearts of men. He's spoken through the creation. He's written the code, even of DNA, hasn't he, for every living thing. He's made us in his image to be people with the ability to reason, to love, to know right from wrong. How do people miss God? They willfully deny him because God might just interfere with their pleasurable lives. Romans 12 verse 1. The more accurate translation is that do not conform to this age. Don't snuggle into the mold of this age. Don't get comfortable in this world. Don't get squeezed into it and embrace the values of this world. I tell you, we so easily do we so easily get drawn into the things of this world and take our eyes off the great call of God. Peter, early in in his letter, explains how it didn't work out too well for Balaam. He was warned by God not to chase after personal gain and riches, but he ignored God, and his body was found amongst the godless men slain. I believe that the age that Jesus and the apostles spoke about at the end is the period of history that we're currently living in. I'm not saying that this is the great tribulation that we're in, but we need to understand that this is the last hour before Christ's return, an age that was much like the age of Lot, who was rescued from Sodom, and God sent a flood in the days of Noah. Lot warned the people to get out and to get out fast. To save themselves. But what did they do? They laughed at him. And they thought he was joking. When the people of Israel escaped uh, the Egypt in their flight uh, from uh, Egypt. It was so quick that they took their 11 bread and uh, left in great haste. And we've got to get out of the kingdom of darkness fast. Satan's domain, we need to get clear of it as far and as fast as we can and not look back. Pete, uh, Pete, uh, Paul sorry, tells us in uh, 2 Timothy, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy with me, what this age will be like. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as I read this, just think about this and say, is this the age that we're living in? And verse 1, but mark this, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Is there any of those things that I've just read out that aren't so apparent in the world that we live in today? So obvious. We're living in an age where Jesus is saying, beware, look out, get out of this fast. We must see that these things were written in Scripture as lessons to warn us, to help us not to fall as they did. It's no different for us. You see here this gospel, it's fine, grace is enough for all of this. But I tell you, if you're living like this, then you should fear. You should fear the, the, the wrath of God if you're living in this realm of Satan. We need to get out and to live pure and godly and holy lives. It's serious stuff, folks. It says in verse 5, they deliberately forget. Now, the word here isn't so much about a defiant act, but actually it's a passive willingness or a preference not to trouble themselves with such things. It's rather like, as I was thinking about this, it is rather like drifting along a river, a beautiful river. And you're looking at the, the trees and the wonderful animals and <clears throat> all the sights around you. And as you drift along, you're enjoying it so much. But far ahead, you hear the roaring sound of a great waterfall. But you think, oh, don't trouble yourself with that. Don't trouble yourself with that. This is just all too pleasant, all too good. Let's just carry on. They deliberately, they willfully drift along life, not realising that a a few hundred thousand tons of water could bury them at any second. God isn't slack or slow, but he deliberately holds back his judgment because he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, verses eight eight to 10. God is patient with us. Aren't you glad that God is patient with, with you and patient with me and patient with this world? He's holding out because of love. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He sent Christ. We've just had Easter, haven't we, in the celebrations around Easter. And we know about the death of Christ, that God demonstrated his own love to us in this. And we know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our great hope and the great power of the resurrection. And he's holding out. In Ezekiel 29, Egypt is portrayed as this great big river monster. And And this river monster, it says, a great hawk is put in its mouth. And it's drawn out of the rivers, out of the streams. And attached to this monster's scales are small fish. And it's a warning to us that this world, this, this world that we live in, it's like this monster that's drawn out. It flounders, as it were, on the side. It's eaten by the beasts, but stuck to its scales are all of those who've decided to take shelter under its protection. But God is saying, get out of the world fast. And we're not going to escape the world in one sense, but we're to escape the world in our hearts, embracing all of its values and all of the things that we love so much. Do not love the world or anything in the world, but love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You can't love God and the world, it says, In 2 Peter 10, it says, a day will come when people least expect like a thief, but a very very noisy thief we see. There will be a great roar and the heat will melt the elements leaving the earth bare. And so Peter concludes verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should we be? And he doesn't leave the answer to this question hanging. There's an urgency that this question has to be answered immediately. He reminds us to live holy lives, godly lives, lives looking forward to the promised hope. Our priority in life should be to find out what is pleasing to God and not how to please ourselves. And what is astonishing is that our behavior can cause God to come sooner rather than later. Isn't that amazing that we can hasten the day? When we pray, when we lead godly lives, then we hasten the day of his return. When we do what we're commissioned to do, the great commission to go and make disciples, to tell the world about this great good news, when we pray according to the will and the purposes of God, then we speed the return of Christ. And two things must happen. There's a number of things that must happen, but two significant things must happen. Every nation must hear the gospel. And Israel must weep for the one that they've slain and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When that happens, my word, it's like that it will come. He will return. These things will happen. I don't know whether you noticed as I read those scriptures the number of times, times, Peter says, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. There are so many things that have happened that we can look back on the scriptures, but this will happen. We're living in days where we're seeing this happening. Dark days, but days where, where we're getting lighter as well, where we're embracing these things, where we have this lively hope looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. He says in verse 17, you already know this, so be on your guard so you don't get carried away in other people's error. Don't think for a moment that you or I can't fall from our secure position. You can, and you must guard against it. Grow in grace and knowledge. If we grow only in one of these, then there's something wrong. We need to grow in grace and in knowledge. We need good hearts growing in the divine influence on our hearts and good heads making right choices for God. Time is a test for all of us. The wilderness wanderings were 40 years to see what was in their heart. King Saul couldn't wait just seven days. The apostles couldn't watch and pray just for one hour. In Jesus' parable, so many of them, he talks about avoiding being complacent. The 10 virgins, the talents, the, the vineyard, the olive grove, all of them warnings and reminders to watch and pray, faithfully serving and seeking his kingdom first. So let's allow this letter to do what it was meant to do, to stir our hearts again, to have lively, awakened hearts, joyful hearts. Isn't it fantastic that we can joyfully praise God with this great hope of salvation, of eternity that awaits us, But please, let's not grow complacent. Let's fulfill the calling upon our lives to stir up the gifts, to cry out for the Holy Spirit again to fall on us, to live godly, holy lives in Jesus' name. Let's pray, let's bow our heads and give our hearts to him now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this living hope, this lively hope, the eternal hope Lord, we thank you that we have this great expectation in you. And we pray, Lord, keep us from error. We pray, keep us from complacency. Stir our hearts again. Enliven our hearts again. Open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, to this great hope, this glorious hope. And let us be effective and fruitful in your ways, Lord. We truly want to be those who are fruit bearers lord so i pray and i pray lord with all of my heart lord we pray now please fill us afresh with your holy spirit please quicken our hearts awaken us afresh lord in jesus name please lord those dark areas in our lives lord please fill us with light in Jesus' name, and help us now as we go out to speak your word and your truth, to encourage those who don't know you, to live at home with those who don't know you, and let them know the glorious hope that we have in Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen.